Conscious Couples Conversations is underwritten by Love Pong, the online game that really helps your relationship. Welcome to Conscious Couples Conversations. I'm Bill Weil. Each time on the program, we talk to relationship experts to discover ways to deepen our connection with our partners. I'm so happy to welcome back my guest today. Jim Thomas is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He has served as president of the Colorado Association for Marriage and Family Therapy and director of the Colorado Center for Emotionally Focused Therapy, or EFT, which he learned from its creator, Sue Johnson. Jim's work focuses on helping people to connect more deeply with themselves, to step beyond self-imposed limitations, allowing deeper connection with others and a richer life. This is Jim's fourth appearance on the program and feel so lucky to have him. Jim, welcome back to the program. Oh, thanks for having me. Always, uh, our conversations are so delightful and fluid and I'm always learning and discovering as we talk. So I'm I'm anxiously and happily anticipating our conversation. Oh, well, that's very nice. I, I, I feel like I am clearly the biggest beneficiary of anybody that could possibly be listening to this, including you. So, but thank you. So when we talked about what we're going to talk about, uh, we said, well, uh, you gave the topic, the sky's not falling, the central importance of optimism in relationship and life. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, I, well, I think that's a great topic. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I had shared with you that I, I myself am looking for insights on um, how to talk to folks who disagree um, you know, and, and this is this is a time in our nation where we're really, as a nation, struggling with how do we talk to folks that disagree other than tell them to shut the hell up and just listen to me, um, which seems to be the zeitgeist. So um, I, I'm hoping we find our way there. But let's start with the central importance of optimism. And let me just say that one of my favorite, pa- you know, I'm, I do path work which is uh, uh, 258 channeled lectures that are spiritual and psychological in nature. And and that is my spiritual path after many years of seeking. And one of the lectures that I love is called uh, The Superstition of Pessimism, Mm. which is all about the notion that if uh, I keep thinking the worst, that I'm somehow inoculating myself to the worst instead of attracting the worst, which is actually what does happen. Okay. So I just want to share that. Well, a great place to start, the superstition of pessimism. You know, it does get to this, this, you know, uh, struggle if we want to live a more spiritual or more sort of psychologically open and aware or more emotionally sort of centered and full life um, that, you know, pessimism is very attractive, right? We could, we could probably do like the five benefits of pessimism. Um, I'm rarely let down if I'm very pessimistic. Right. 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 Um, Exactly. 
And there is something. I remember, to I remember when a friend of mine got breast cancer, which she has since recovered from. She got breast cancer. She was the biggest warrior I ever met. And when I heard she got breast cancer, I figured she would have fallen off a cliff. And I called her right up and I said, are you OK? And she goes, oh, yeah, I'm great. I've been preparing for this my whole life. <laughs> Right. It kind of it kind of worked, but it really didn't because our, the rest of her whole life, you know, she's a wreck. <laughs> well, there's a certain, you know, there's some uh, science to support this pessimism thing. It, it may be in a sense that really, we, well, we have a negativity bias, right? We we are more we tend as humans and we've probably had this for a long time. Evolutionary uh, tendency for long before, like civilization and this stuff um that we wait and you know it's funny uh, it wasn't bill it wasn't um it wasn't um psychology that found this it was it was out in the world of economics and they were they're trying to figure out why would somebody that like invest in a stock maybe that stock goes from like you know ten dollars a share to 150 dollars a share you got lucky you know you bought google mm -hmm. or IBM or something early on and you maybe if you invested a thousand dollars you've got like you know, 150,000 or you've got a lot of money suddenly and it goes down a bit and your broker calls and says I think I, I want to lock in this gain of like you know 120,000 and you're you say no 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 it was once at 140 I don't want to lose that 20,000 and even though in a sense you never really had that 20,000 right you we wait loss it's some ratio of like five to one or so or more uh, stronger than gain. Um, so we're, we're somehow as a species sensitive to loss and pessimism. You know, the, this, the evolutionary advantage of pessimism in a temperate climate, for example, or where there's a rainy season and a dry season, where I, it would be an advantage to have some pessimists in the tribe, in the group that say, I think we need to store a lot more nuts. You know, I realized right. winter last year or the dry season last year wasn't so tough. But what if it's tough this year? We need to sure. cure sure. some more meat. We need or, to. Or, like... or, or, right. Sure. Or that tiger over there looks friendly, but I'm just going <laughs> to, yes. you know, I'm going to err on the side of caution. Yeah. And happy maybe go lucky. really mean and vicious. Yeah, exactly. Happy go lucky, you know, Pierre or something is lunch for the tiger <laughs> while the rest of us run. So so, and there is a little bit of evidence that a, just a little bit of realism, right? That there's, sure. there's something to be said for realism and, and um, you know, living. I think when we talk about things like optimism, to be sure that you and I aren't talking about like Pollyanna. Um, right. Sort of look on the bright side to give life a chance, to give other people the benefits yeah. doubt, to, to um, and, and really that, to take um, like the optimist long view that that overall we've been improving overall and how we treat each other, you know, which a lot of people, why are you kidding me? We do not treat each other better than mm -hmm. we used to, you know? And then I say, right. well, let's go back to like say England about 200, 300 mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah. And some fellow has been put up on like a, you know, up in public, um, hanging by his arms and they've cut his abdomen over and his bowels are hanging out and mm -hmm. he's going to take two or three days to die while people walk by and throw things at him. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some things, you know, that we definitely overall have 
don't torture yeah. like we used to. We don't have as right. much, you know, when you, you know, that title, like things are better than we think they are. David Brooks wrote a wonderful synopsis of this um, around New Year's Eve at, at the end of 2018, where he said, overall, the human condition for most people is markedly better than it was, say, 100 years ago. Right. You know, things like disease rates are lower. Abject poverty has gone from a, something like 40% of the world's population in the last 30 years down below 10%. Well, wow, I didn't know that. That's you're right. Exactly. Right. That's it. I didn't know that. Yeah. You ask most of our listeners probably say in the United States or Canada, right? Asking the United States, is the crime rate increased steadily, stayed about the same, or dropped in the last, say, 15 years? And it's overall dropped. In right. fact, during the recession, we didn't have the anticipated increase that's more common in like small crimes, you know, due to financial insecurities and stuff. Um, just little, like robberies and shoplifting and mugging and this kind of stuff. Um, is, is your child more or less likely to be abducted than 20 years ago? Okay. So you're going to confuse, confuse things with facts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so I poured important. So let me give you, let me give you, let me give you the, the, let me, let me answer the abduction one first. Cause this okay. is, bias. This is a, we <laughs> have an attention bias problem. Right. So we have a negativity bias and then we have an intentional bias and the abduction thing with the, the alerts, the, um, oh gosh, I'll forget the young Amber, alerts. Amber alerts, right? Actually all the data available to us, the odds of your child or grandchild or niece or nephew or something being abducted, abducted are markedly lower than they were, but you may be driving down the highway and there's that sign or it comes right. on your cell phone now and right. it says Amber Alert, you know, look for a white, right. you know, SUV with this license mm -hmm. plate. And because of that attention to it, the brain automatically assumes it must be happening more often. Right. I think this is important, right? Because we live in a hyperactive attentional competition world, right? Where there, people are fighting to get our attention. This podcast is brought to you by Love Pong a free, fun tool that helps you deepen your connection with your partner. Try it today at lovepong.com. And yes. what's the best way to get my attention? Fear. Fear, shock. sure. Yeah. Shock. So we've got the dopamine rush of paying attention to the shock. What's on cable news? What's on my phone? What's in my inbox? What dangerous thing is happening? What's happening out there? And to just rat, put a period at the end of the sentences, Brooks makes this case and goes through these things one after another, health outcomes, right? And that's not to say there aren't exceptions, there aren't places where famine breaks out, where disease breaks out, where the right. people are at war. But we have less war right now. We have less terrorism right now. We have less. And, and I know listeners are going, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. The, no, no, the chances of my kid being abducted are way harder Right. That's why I won't let my kids go out and play unaccompanied out in the park. And then the, and then it trickles down into our kids and stuff where our kids grow up with this sense that the adults are all so anxious about the world out there. And then we're right. kind of passing down this protective bias, this intentional bias, and this negativity bias, and this aversion to loss. Mm -hmm that just feed this fear-based stuff that can go all the way from like a couple's relationship to the family culture, to the sense in the community. 
I'll give you one really good one from back in the day before the internet took over. They did studies, confirm this over and over again. What factor in your life would lead to this? We ask people, what are the chances of you being the victim of a crime where you live? And then there's a group of people that predict it very accurately. It's like amazingly accurate. There's a group of people that say something in the 10 to 20 times more likely. And there's a group of people that see themselves as like a thousand times more likely to have this, a crime committed or more, like 10,000 more likely. And what was it back in the day before the internet took over? The, the independent variable was how much TV you watched. People without a TV or who rarely watch TV very accurately predict the odds of being the victim of a crime where they live. If you watch a little bit of TV, it goes up in 10, 20, 30, 40 times more. If you watch TV routinely, five, six hours a day, it skyrockets. The people not watching TV are basing their guess on what? Their actual experience. On right, reality. On right. Reality. So there we go. There we're back to reality. So we can leave reality behind and get back to optimism. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm. No, I didn't. I wasn't complaining I'm, I'm, about reality. I was complaining about facts. Facts, yes, facts. <laughs> and um, which is reality. That was. <clears throat> let, let me just. My, I, I want to um, um, distinguish between the inner and the outer. Good point. So the outer, like what's really going on uh, in the world. And uh, and and what uh, and my in the inner would be what's going inside me. And there's a, there's a part of me uh, I'm not proud to say. Well, two things. One is that I discovered that I have a fundamental, um, almost like a stand that I will not trust life. Hmm. I will not trust life. You know, it it dates back to my mother dying when I was twelve. Getting sick when I was seven, my, uh, you know, but I'm sure it dates back to, you know, age zero to four, even, you know, just I will not trust life. So there's that. And um, yeah, that constant, you know, you, you see a bird in the yard that's like pecking away at the ground, but like every peck, it like looks around, looks left, looks right. Looks left and right, right again. Then it takes another couple of pecks. Immediately pops back up and looks around. There's that fight or flight, which you know is probably uh, a very intelligent survival thing. I feel too often so much like that bird that I'm just waiting for the thing to happen. And I and it's and it's so it's it's something that needs to be done undone from the inside versus. You know, and maybe maybe watching TV, less TV is the solution for me. I mean, I watch an hour every evening. It's usually something modestly violent like uh, NYPD Blue uh, reruns, which is my favorite thing in the world, uh, West Wing. Um, you know, so. Sure. That, yeah, a lot of TV is unless we, you know, maybe we're watching something like a home rebuilding show or watching a cooking show. We can watch Antiques Roadshow. There are some things that are more peaceful. Um but a lot of TV is is um, drama, tension, violence, conflict. That's the nature of of drama that interests us. So yeah, that's the the old uh, well, Andrew Wilde um, used to suggest that people take a one month like media break and track their mood and their overall state of being mm. internally, and then when you reintroduce 
that media see what happens so you can find your sort of tolerance or sweet spot like when does tv or getting on the internet and reading news or being on social media and stuff start to you know negatively impact you versus it's neutral versus it's positive and i, I love the point of it what about our internal world and you just went to one like it fundamentally don't want to trust life I, I had mm-hmm. a big loss when I was 12 yeah. right there. That would, right there. Yeah. You, should, you know, there's a sort be, be pessimistic, lower your expectations. Well, it's more than that. It's, it's a, it's it, part of it is a, is like a fuck you to life. Okay. Right. You know. right. Flipping life off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm angry about Yeah. some of these things that you mean, like, yeah. You know, why did I have to lose my mom? Yeah. I'm, I'm angry about a lot of things. I'm angry about the way our country's being run, but I'm, you know, in the present, but right, losing my mom, you know, my sister being born when I was four and sort of becoming invisible and blah, blah, blah. Right. And, you know, I've, I mean, you know, and I, I mean, you know, I'm a white middle class, you know, got all of the, uh, all the trappings you could have. You come out of the race, you know, take away like your, your mom's dying when you're younger and some, some of those things. You started the race of life maybe 100 yards ahead because you're right. class educated. Right. You have privileges and things. Right. 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 Yeah, this is a tough one, right? Our, our, you're getting at like our, can I have an optimistic sort of trust in life, trust the process of life, trust relationships and the community I live in and trust the nation overall and where it's going and or do I tend towards a a negativity bias a pessimism that says I'm going to be protective and I'm kind of pissed at life and if life and I had a conversation it would be an argument <laughs> that's right right yeah <clears throat> uh, and I do I think um that's interesting you say that because I tend to wake up with an optimistic view of things, um, and I've had my wow. parents. So you divorce. wake up in the morning and you're like, "I'm ready to go. I'm I, I'm excited to see what today's going to bring." Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I mean, a lot of that depends too on how much I slept and right. those, those things. And um, or I can. I was up in Edmonton on Wednesday. I was doing a training ahead of a bigger four day training. I'd offered to do a smaller training with like 15 therapists or workshop facilitation about personhood, about how therapists show up in their, their whole self. And I woke up in the hotel kind of feeling sorry for myself. Like, why do I have to do this workshop ahead of four days of, you know, where I'm going to be working with 60 people and they're, and, you know, all these helpers and stuff. And then I, I stopped for a minute and I re- <laughs> it was my idea. <laughs> I mean, it sounds fantastic. And I was free. No, I said like, oh, I'm the one who suggested we maybe offer this little extra workshop for folks. And then I, I could channel like my Mr. Rogers and go be there for folks. And it was a lovely experience. But yeah, I, it's an interesting thing to just for listeners to like pause for a moment. Where do you tend to go, you know, more towards um, like you're describing an F you to life and a... Um, or towards an optimistic view of life, or I embrace life. I have this one chance, this one opportunity, and this, you know, however you view it, like in this carnation, incarnation, or this journey, or something, or um, versus 
yeah, what is it as you're listening? Where do you fundamentally come from? And how does, how does that land with you? And where did that arise from? It's interesting how you said it, right? You're rather transparent. There's some things that have happened and, and continue to happen. Um, and that's not to say I might not look out at something like climate change and can certainly channel the pessimistic side of me that says, you know, we may not do something about that as a species. And then I think you're also bringing up something really interesting if we want to take this conversation a bit more sort of what most people would call like spiritual or something is, go meta is how much of this inner world and how we show up in life and this overall sort of view or temperament about life actually based in facts right Right. versus a choice or versus maybe a predisposition that we're sort of born with that some researchers would argue we're sort of born with a certain amount of either gregarious or not gregarious optimistic versus pessimistic i'm very optimistic that we have influence over that we we can have choice you can do like a path program or you can do your 12-step work or you can take the sacraments of your faith as a as a you know an internal process not just some rules you follow or you can you know meditate more often or you can experience like a corrective emotional experience with your partner and and have your overall experience of life evolve which is my work Mm -hmm. people to help them in their in their relationship to themselves and their loved ones purpose i watch people make you know see changes transformational in that but i think it's an interesting thing to just visit for a moment you're listening right Mm. you go pause the like recording and just say what what is it what do i wake up to this podcast is brought to you by love palm a free fun tool that helps you deepen your connection with your partner the premium version includes a powerful 30-week interactive relationship course it's all happening at lovepong.com I did an exercise, you know, you could do this. I did this back in my 20s when I was, I was kind of in a rough spot. I was dealing with, it's a time when I was, um, you know, smoking marijuana every day. I was in college. I would had my kind of a existential sophomore year depression. I was starting to toy with other substances. I was drinking too much. Um, and I was home for the summer. I was hanging out with my brother, who's five years younger, and his friends, which gave me some youthful energy back. And I sat one day and just started writing down all the like little bits of poetry or song lyrics or movie scenes or books or things people had said to me or experiences that I had that brought me to either a poignant moment, an energetic mm-hmm. moment, or something, right? Mm-hmm. And I got, and then I went back to it a few days later. I wrote more and I went back to it a few, and I ended up with like eight pages or 12 pages. I wish I'd kept this thing. Mm. Then I looked for the themes. Mm. And the theme for me was, hey, you're here. Why not say yes? Mm. Wow. I love that. Including saying yes to like, like Cahil Gibran and uh, speak to us of love and the, and the, and the prophet is, you know, talking about love and how love will also tear you up. Right. And her, you know, love isn't all just good and pleasurable. And he says, look, if that scares you, then wrap yourself back up, hide your nakedness 
and go to that seasonless world. <laughs> Love it. That seasonless <laughs> world where uh-huh. you laugh. That seasonless world where you will laugh, but you will not laugh all your laughter. And you will weep, but you will not weep all your tears. And I gradually started making this choice in my 20s. I kept going towards a deeper emotional experience of life with an optimistic, you know, uh, bias added to it of why not say yes to it. And Mm. I discovered things like John Bradshaw and I started looking into my emotional life and Mm. how I viewed relationships. And then I I did some work with uh, that was around how do you want to show up? And so I think there, there are these options out there and it really comes down to like, do I want to be proactive in this or just live in these biases? Living, right. live in the cultural war that's happening right now, right. and just be be on oh. one side or the other, or sit it out. Okay, let's talk about that because I had a, a, a moment that I really want to share. Um, so I have a neighbor. I, I walk my neighborhood every day. You know, I do a big loop. It's a big hill, and it's perfect for exercise. Okay. And uh, uh, I have a neighbor. Who's uh, so? My bias is I'm 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 liberal. I hate guns. Everything to do with guns, um, that kind of thing. And he's got. And by the way, um, my wife uh, lives two blocks, and I was in the neighborhood from where the Tree of Life shootings were with assault rifles. My son, uh, the bar that he goes to regularly, was the one that was shot up in Dayton with an assault rifle. And he almost—he was almost there. His friends were there. Half had left a half an hour before. I know people that I know. Lots of people know people that got killed by assault rifles. Anyways, he's got a bumper sticker on his pickup truck that says uh, "Assault Life" with an assault rifle, <laughs> and you know something about you know this the you know. Uh, anyways, you get the idea. At this yeah. guy, yeah. he's got like super gaudy decorations. And- in his front yard he's just like he scares the crap out of my wife and it just like i kind of liked him just uh, there's something about him that i kind of like but we didn't talk much anyways the other day i walked past and uh i just engaged him because he had hurt his arm he okay whatever and he winds up sharing um this most amazing stuff about how when he was um he was happily married with five kids, like in love with his wife. One day his wife kissed him when he went off to work. Two hours later, she had two moving vans there. She cleared out the entire house, took all the kids, left him with, you know, a mattress on the floor, one sheet, you know, one pillow, one pillowcase, one spoon, one bowl, one plate, one fork, one knife. And, you know, and his clothes. And that was it. Everything else in the house was gone. Wow, and he was like, loss yeah, he was and he was sharing vulnerably about it. And then he and then he says, you know, he said to me something about like, you know, it's been nine years and I still haven't been able to trust a woman. He told me about this amazing story about this woman, very wealthy woman had bought this this like. $32,000 motorcycle for him. He was surprising with him and he, she brings him into the dealership and, and the guy says, Oh, you must be the lucky guy. He says, what are you talking about? He goes, that bike there, this yours. He's like, he's like, take, del- take it back, give her money back. I'm not taking it. He broke up with her the next day. So, so anyway, so that was my interaction with the guy. It was amazing. I mean, I, you know, I was all I could do to have tears streaming down my face. And I, um, 
And I walked past him the other day and I said, you know, you know, I just I just really want to thank you for how vulnerable you with me. I was just so moved by your experience and your and your willingness to be vulnerable. And he goes, Oh, thanks. That means a lot. And he shook my hand. I mean, here's a guy who, like, if we started talking about in contrast, in contrast, uh, about a month ago, I was talking to a client who's been a client of mine for 10 years. And he started talking about something he was really happy about Trump was doing. And I said, listen, I cannot, I, 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 I can be, I can have a relationship with you forever, but not if we're talking about Trump. We just have to not talk about it. And he insisted on it. I wound up screaming at the top of my lungs and he hung up on me. I've uh-huh. since cleaned it up. But that's sort of, um, that's firm you know, boundary there, we call that, right? Un- unequivocal. I think, can we go back to your story? Yeah. Because if yeah. we unpack it a little bit, it's like he he invited an encounter with you, right? He he was weeping his tears. Yeah. Right, with you. And, and he was, um, and you got to see him as a person. And yes. And I think that's the one, you know, look, I want to do a disclosure. Of, like, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm particularly adept at these conversations, either if we're up in the content of, you know, should we um have a medicare for all or should we get rid of obamacare should we have guns their central right or should we have gun regulation or should we take guns or whatever it is pro-life or pro-choice all these things um when i'm caught up in the content of those things uh, my ability to sort of therapeutically listen or something you know i can lose that can i think because these things um trigger us right and they trigger threat they trigger like mm-hmm. where where's the big nation going and, and then they trigger it at you know they trigger values in us and they etc but in that moment he sort of in, he invited you to to know him just as a person and i love yeah. your call back to him when you could walk by him and say hey, yeah. thank you you know thanks there's a great piece of advice and or recommendation of that story is talk to people about everything but right to them about what they care about and yes the day-to-day basis about you know their their dog that they seem to love a lot or um that why right. they collect uh unicorns or how what how come you just bought a boat or um i saw your kids came to visit how are they doing right First i mean oh, so except for a, just ex- people you know people except for a, yeah, yeah, yeah i was gonna say except for a, a, sm- a few small issues I think that the right wing and the left wing are, are like ninety something percent aligned on what they want. Um, it, it's the, how do you get there? The DNA. If you look at the DNA, it's like ninety nine point eight or something right. the same that we are. Right. Um, yeah. So how do you? Right. I like that. Talk about everything, but talk about everything, but, and then you can look at. I think another thing is, and I know I do this when I get caught in these things, is I talk at, right? Mm. Um, yeah. Rather than sharing and um, listening and asking questions, right? The the folks that I have in my life that seem more skilled or have an acumen for sort of cross political discussions um, are more curious and they ask questions also how did you reach that conclusion and what is it what's important to you about that and where do you see that policy you know how would you implement that where would you see that going and help me understand and it's funny to me because i think something i'm relatively 
relatively good at it tons of blind spots but it's like in my career i i had an interest very young and like cross-cultural and cross yeah like cross-cultural ex- communication and and communicating like across mm-hmm. like gender and trying to understand things like how a person might be who they are and show up the way they do based on you know where were they born like what was what how were they raised things like what you shared your your mom at 12 years mm-hmm. old but boy, when you bring in these things in today's world about politics, it seems like those skills go away. And and <laughs> I think there's a bias in it, maybe that is fueling it, which is a thing that's that's really is happening according to sociological research, is that the country as a whole is becoming more divided in that when you're you and I are of a similar age, so we're younger, you know, that that may be I won't get these numbers exactly right, but it may be that maybe of the adults in our life, some 5% on one side and, you know, 5% on the other side, or like 5% of the population that was the farthest to the left, that, that maybe 4% and 4% that were farthest to the right, really did see the other side as out to destroy right. the country. We're right. seeing things like 35 to 40% on each side in a thing we call it like angelic attribution to our side right and evil attribution to the other side that that on my side i want to keep these guns because i'm going to keep america safe from from you know and and i want to get rid of these guns because i want to keep america safe and the person who opposes my view has evil or machiavellian or if nothing else just really ignorant misguided motives or they're just stupid and I am all I am knowing and I have angelic right. motives. And I think it makes it really hard because there's sort of an implied assumption that if if you disagree with me, you probably don't think very well of me because you can't fathom how if, if you support Trump, you see the you know opponents of Trump as never Trumpers who have Trump derangement syndrome. And if, if and, and those if people look back over and see someone supporting Trump and they're like, Oh my God, are you just, did you, you know, get brainwashed? And then boom, those are like character attacks. Yeah. Back to Gottman, you know, the, the, the four horsemen, <laughs> right? Where we're, oh, remind me uh, the four horsemen, you know, that in the research that they, they said, there's, you know, couples whose, whose relationships are um, dominated by criticism, uh, complaint, criticism, um what is the, the four it's that's criticism defensiveness stonewalling and contempt and there's a difference between like a complaint which is a you know behaviorally i'm upset with you because you didn't you know empty the dishwasher a criticism goes to your character and i say you're lazy mm. that's why you didn't do it right right contempt is where i see i now see you as less i have contempt for you and then I'm going to be defensive if you try to talk to me or I'll stonewall you. And you start to see our political relationships in that. Mm-hmm. That when I'm talking to my neighbor or someone and it feels like they disagree with me, if you look at how we talk at each other online, you know, and social media, people start name calling pretty quickly. They start yeah, yeah. making assumptions about the wholeness of the person. And we end up doing what couples do in relationships when they get locked into these positions. They don't do very well with each other. 
That's why they come to couples therapy or they, they break up or they live these quiet lives of arguing and misery. We're sort of doing that. So that helps me understand why I get so like uh, reactive, but I don't want to live in reactivity. Go back to your spiritual point. I don't want to live my life in reactivity. Right. Right. Okay. Now, I'm hearing a total echo of myself. Now I don't. That's better. Um, when w before we, uh, 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 as I was gearing up to introduce you to start this, you mentioned that you were curing relationships in two days. Did you say well, that? I, I, I didn't use those words. I'm ha having some pretty magical, transform more transformative experiences happening in two and three day intensives, applying for, for the most part, emotionally focused therapy along with just life experience. Okay. Well, you, you weren't on the record. Um, and uh, uh, so I guess here's my question about that. And maybe this, because it feels like this is a tie in. My. Somebody asked me for a therapist recommendation. In fact, it's an EFT, emotionally focused couples therapist, that because of you, I've been recommending, and everybody loves her, so it's really been great. Unfortunately, this friend, turns out her husband is also a therapist, knows her, so she can't go to them. Right. Um, but what's my point? Oh, so she said to you, what do you recommend? I said, the, the main thing I'm going to recommend is, you know, obviously go to someone you like and that it works out, you'll do that. But my, the experience with almost everybody I've ever uh, coached in relationship is um, that after like, you know, a few months of uh, super healing and seeing the other person and just having a lot of breakthroughs, they go, we got this. And I go, okay, great. And then three, six, nine months later, they're, you know, at each other's throats again or divorced. Right. Or up. So what's your, you know, like how do, how do people stay on the path versus like, I got this. Um, and maybe some people do got it. I mean, I imagine people go, they work out a big problem they've had. That was the only major problem they've had. They're much more balanced people than me and than I. And, and maybe they do not need more, but I'm very clear that if I'm not in something for life, um, I'm risking my relationship. That's, right. that's my stand feeling. Well, and, me, and I don't mind that. I mean, I, you yeah. know, I, I like that. I like aspects of that because my relationship to... does get better and better and better. My relationship is amazing because of that work. Yeah, me too. Right. Let me try to answer it from, from this conversation and then I can go in and weave that back into yeah. sort of, yeah. uh, so um, one of them is, I think that a lot of times couples therapy, relational therapies, even individual therapy is often dealing at the level of like our thoughts about things like cognitive, you know, doing like cognitive distortion work. Um, it's it's work, working at the level of behavior. It's working mm -hmm. at like, uh, or it's working at a level of like, let's learn about our types. Your language of love is this, my language right. is that, or you're, you're mm -hmm. an anagram three, I'm an anagram nine, or <laughs> I'm an introvert, you're an extrovert. Yeah. And I think a lot of these things result, people can have very, very useful, positive conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and then, but they, they tend not to get at these underlying distortions and biases that you're starting to talk about at the bigger, in the mm -hmm. bigger world. Yeah that these distortions and biases develop in close relationships. We get caught up in, you know, circular 
sort of negative cycles mm-hmm. and I start to take on these protective or critical like positions in the dance and you start to see me not as the person you met and you know got a bond with but you see me as the guy that you know shuts you down and stonewalls or you see me as the guy who gets harsh and criticizes or something in the relationship and um and so i think a couple things i think one if you're going to go see a couple therapist go see an optimist <laughs> right so so somebody who's optimistic about your bond and that's one of the things if you were to come to see me i believe in the bond and i'm going to fight for it I mean, that's interesting an engaging therapist if you look I have an old site that's still up engaging therapy and then I have my jimthomas.care site and on the engaging therapy site it says engage to be dedicated or committed to a cause you know I'm going to be dedicated and committed to helping you improve and secure that bond then the other is I think how much is the experience you're having in therapy a sort of bottom up from the heart emotional experience because we have a plethora of research indicate that most big change that really lasts for people comes with some emotional experience, right? And a corrective mm-hmm. experience between the two people or an individually. My, some of the seminal moments of my early life, whether they happen with a person or they happen with my higher power, as I understand him or her, you know, they happened um, while I was walking alone or in relationship. I remember the strong emotion i experienced at that time mm-hmm. that and emotions orient us and, and 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 motivate us and engage us um so th- i think that that's how people end up they go they can come that's why i like eft because you come and you're dealing with the heart of the matter and and understanding from the bottom up not just cognitively right. understanding these cycles and then having new experiences with your therapist, that's probably why they love this person you refer to. She's helping them have new experiences with each other. Mm-hmm. So that that's, that's and then I, I do see that happening. I do mm-hmm. see, then those biases get challenged. The, the normalcy bias that we are just going to be in this cycle forever, this is what couples do. The confirmation bias that here we go again, so it's confirming that you are just this one-dimensional person now. Right. This loss aversion and, and risk of being hurt. So, I, you know, the love is to be vulnerable. I don't want to risk hurt with you in this relationship anymore. Or I don't want to risk hurt across these political lines. I don't want to get vulnerable with you and have you smash me and call me a name, you know. Um, I don't want you to call me a libtard. Well, I don't want you to just assume and call me a racist because I support Trump or something. And these are the things that we, that can get, surfaced and dealt with but not from like a debate place an intellectual place alone but also from from the heart like your heart to heart talk with that fellow mm-hmm. you you have a you your compassion for him skyrocketed yes that's more the kind of work we would do in eft is we want to, we want couples and families to have that kind of talk right you know Beautiful. Where, where it's more risky because you know to have him be able to talk to this wife who who left him abruptly, maybe two years before she leaves, is going to be a lot more risky for him to get vulnerable than opening up to his neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? At yeah. All? I mean, that I not only makes sense. There, it's, it's, <laughs> what's that? 
I got on a roll. I'm like, no, it's I'm actually so a beautiful. It's a beautiful segue to close if if you're ready sure. to close and. Yes. Um, uh, because um, I, I would encourage anybody uh, listening to check you out. I know that uh, celeb uh, celebrated therapists recommend you, and um, and I know everybody that's uh, that everybody that I know that's worked with you, which I think is one person, but that feels like a lot because she's told me about a lot of other people that have worked with you, not their personal stories, but just right. the, the the work that you've done. Um, you know, it's just, um, it's just gotta be a gift and, uh, why wouldn't you? And now you're, so tell me again, you're, you're only taking on clients if they first do an intensive with you. Yeah. People like, I got people coming, you know, from Colorado, of course, and from around the U S and Canada and, um, they come, it's just one couple. It's not like a group process or something. And we dive into you know, the Jim Thomas sort of version of emotionally focused therapy because my personhood's in it. And Did you say it's only one couple at a yeah, time? Yeah, it's one couple coming in at a time. For, for how long? Uh, two to three days. I also do it with families, like adult children and parents that have been estranged or in conflict. And then I've also do some with um, individuals that are wanting to do some deeper healing of like trauma and stuff. And, wanna, and we are working you know, all day for two yeah. or three days with a lunch break. And um, if they want to learn more, you can Jim Thomas dot care is the easiest way to find out more. Jim Thomas dot care. Uh, Got it. T H O M A S. Yeah. And I'm booking out into like April and May of 2020 at this point. And I'm I do a couple a week. So it's, I love it. It's my passion. I just, uh, it just fits. Uh, I like to type wow. the therapy. We don't have life getting in the way. Yeah. We can dive deep down. We can come up for air and process mm -hmm. and organize. And then I can go maybe to the other partner. I don't have to do the jumping back and forth that you do in a shorter session. Right. And sit on your side of the dance for 90 minutes. And yeah, partner knows they'll get their time. It's, it's yeah. a, I love it. It's, 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 there's a lots of ways to do intensives too. And I, I, I just love the way it's working out. And, mm -hmm. and well, my my wife and I do a couples intensive with a therapist in Ann Arbor, so it's like a four hour drive for us. And plus, we love Ann Arbor. Oh, nice. Uh, we're not we're not getting on a plane, uh, but right. we'll we'll drive four hours. And um, it's just uh, it, uh, he's really special, also. Yeah, there's um, lots of people yeah. to go do this with. And yeah, it's, it's just a different thing to think about. It's a great thing. To, I mean, my God, uh, the, every time we come away from it, our relationship is up another level. And and um, yeah, so highly recommended, Jim Thomas Care. Jim, as always, I have loved talking to you. Um, looking forward to the next time. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Oh, my pleasure. We don't wait as long, Tyler. Follow up. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye for now. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please check out our other podcasts at lovepong.com slash podcast. While you're there, check out lovepong.com. You'll be glad you did. I'm Bill Weil. Thanks for listening.